0: Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast.
1: Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS Programme. The Australian Council for Defence Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and promote public education. And uh, I think that at no stage have we been needed as much as we have at the moment. But um, we have a press release for you this afternoon that we'll start off with, because the times, they are changing. We may not get a a change of government, although from the point of view of public education, the Lib Labs aren't that much different when it comes to the um, state aid question. But um, the times have changed insofar as it's no longer economically a good thing to be giving funding to private schools. They're starting to cost the taxpayer even more than state schools are. But uh, we've got that uh, press release, 925, which will be on our website at www.adogs.info. As well as that, um, there's been some very interesting articles in the paper in the last week. For example, Ken Boston who was on the Gons- Gonski Committee, he was together with Gonski back in uh, 2011, he has a very interesting article that Sowell's going to uh, refer us to. Uh, Do you want to know why our schools keep lagging the world's best? It doesn't actually take a prophet or the son of a prophet or the daughter of a prophet to work that one out. Uh, we still have large numbers of disadvantaged children in our underfunded public schools. And Dale's going to read the comments which will indicate to you that the dogs are not alone in their unhappiness about the funding situation in Australia. Um, Jeff has got a very interesting um, article, too, for us, because a Victoria School's boom has lost steam. A lot of people have actually been leaving Victoria. So um, there's a whole question of enrolments. And Maddie is going to tell us how going to a private school won't make a difference to your children's academic results if that is what you send your children to school for. And, of course, we have a great state school from Maddie. But let's get on with it. Press release 925. Times have changed. Private schools are too expensive. They do not save taxpayers' money. Over to you, Oliver and Kim.
2: Thank you, Jing. From the return of state aid for private sectarian schools in 1969, to the present, a major argument has been that it'll be too expensive to take them over and make them public schools. That argument has never held very much water, but the facts and figures are now very much on the record. They are now far too expensive for the taxpayer to subsidize as private institutions in hard economic, as well as social terms. Even direct funding figures, minus the taxation exemption figures, are starting to speak for themselves. In a recent article in the Australian Financial Review entitled, Publicly Funded Private Schools Need Obligations, Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell made the point very clearly. The recent debate about the exclusion of homosexual children from City Point and other private schools, together with the Morrison government's failed effort to legislate religious freedom laws, has opened up floodgates of questions questions and more questions. It seems that the state aid problem allegedly buried has risen with a vengeance. Private school peak groups have long argued that they should have unregulated control over whom they enroll and employ to teach in their schools. In fact, in the late 19th century, this power was at issue when the Roman Catholic Church took its schools out of the state subsidized system. The hierarchy wanted the power to own, enroll, hire and fire and determine what was taught in their schools. In recent times, the National Catholic Education Commission's Executive Director, the erstwhile Labor Minister Jacinta Collins, has argued that these powers are okay because in a pluralist school system, families should be able to elect for a faith-based education for their children. Bonner and Greenwell point out that this view gave primacy to pluralism in religious beliefs but pluralism is about comparable opportunities for people of all races, classes, religions, and backgrounds. The current private school version of pluralism has led to a lopsided system in which not only are children divided along sectarian lines, but there is not much mixing of the rich and poor in the current Australian lopsided system. Religious schools overwhelmingly cater for those who can pay fees in the process creating a socioeconomic hierarchy this isn't pluralism. It is discrimination and separation based largely on circumstances of birth. The My School website shows how this plays out in every community. Arguments about the rights of private schools to discriminate seemed acceptable until they received public funding. But even when they finally received public funding, the argument was that the expansion of this private school sector would represent a big cost saving to governments. And nobody, not even Carmel or seriously addressed what obligations, including student enrolments, should accompany public funding. But now, with the City Point case, not to mention the demands for religious discrimination legislation, which places religion at the top of, of a hierarchy of rights, the assumption that private schools have unfettered rights to discriminate, given their financial dependence upon the taxpayer, has opened up the bankruptcy of their economic argument, this is how Bonner and Greenwell see it. And now Kim will tell us a bit more about times that have changed.
3: Thanks, Ollie. Uh, so the aggressive discrimination practice by private schools has challenged the assumption that private schools save the public purse. Take the example of City Point Christian College. Governments in direct recurrent grants pay approximately $8,500 for each student at City Point Christian College parents pay about the same hence about $15,000 in total is spent on each student meaning all the rec- meeting all the recurrent costs of the school seems to be a big impost on federal and state governments but is it if the city point students attended mansfield state high school nearby the cost would be just $11,000 a student that is in direct recurrent funding alone and not all the indirect funding extras why would governments need to find $15,000 a student, especially when the lower-cost government schools reveals better NAPLAN results than most private schools nearby? Yes, there is more to schools than NAPLAN, but achievement matters. This Christian schools is funded to about 80% of the cost of similar students in the public school. In that region, also Loretto College Corp. Corporu is funded to 95%, the figure for Lord's Hill College is at 98%. All these schools enrolled students from similar socio-economic backgrounds, and many private schools in Australia are funded at more than 100%. It is not much a bargain for taxpayers, particularly if such schools merely duplicate public facilities unnecessarily. In any case, governments are now much bigger stakeholders in private schools than their religious owners. What started as a subsidy now often amounts to equivalent funding. Parents may pay school fees, but it is nonsense to say that these constitute savings for the taxpayer. In the same fashion, the substantial capital spend for the highest-fee schools does not represent public saving, while the taxpayer-funded buildings represented an alienation of the public estate. There is substantial overspend on private schools throughout Australia as they compete for market share, Given that schools enrolling similar students yield similar results, the amount spent by the lowest cost providers, usually public schools, becomes a benchmark for each group of similar schools. Amounts spent in excess of this total about $5 billion in recurrent spending each year. All that money coming from governments and parents. Next time conservative governments complain that school funding goes up but results do not, it should be pointed out that this is because the total spend isn't sufficiently directed to where it would make the biggest difference. And every time attempts have been made to change this, the pub private school lobby has played politics and prevented any semblance of a need policy getting off the ground, let alone succeeding. But there is more to the money argument, and this related to the obligation of schools and the way they operate. There is a serious disconnect between the demands of the private sector and the reality of their funding. Are these schools going to continue to demand every greater shares of the public funding for education while discriminating against the poor who cannot even dream of paying their fees or anyone else who does not fit their narrow religious or social or political criteria?
4: And the dog's position, this is Jeff. the dog's position is that um, Bonner and Greenwell say it is well beyond time to contemplate a level playing field for all publicly funded schools. Our school system can be much fairer, more productive and more sustainable. Dogs agree and note that they have always argued that only public responsible schools should be publicly funded. Those are schools which are public in purpose, public in outcome, public in access without discrimination, public in ownership, public in control, public in accountability. In other words, the public schools we have inherited and which still do a great job educating two-thirds of Australian children. Dogs point out that the only way general, genuine pluralism can be practised in education is in a public system open to all children, teachers, parents and employees.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, that is some um, press release 925, and you will find it on our website at www.adogs.info. Uh, and thanks to Chris Bonner and Greenwell, uh, Tom Greenwell, uh, for in a, in a way taking the dog's position and saying that the times have finally changed. The economic argument never did stack up, but it's getting worse and worse. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back and sorrell has got a very interesting article for you.
2: It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got. But it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3CR.org.au Forward slash subscribe, or call the station on
1: 039419-8377. Well, you're listening to the Dogs program, the Defence of Government Schools, and uh, why are our schools in Australia lagging behind the world's best? Uh, years ago, Gillard told us that we were going to be up at the top five. But we're a long, long, long way from that. So why hasn't it happened? Over to you,
0: Sorrell. Thanks, Jean. So Ken Boston is about to let us know why it hasn't happened. The most recent report from the OECD Program for International Student Assessment confirmed that Australia has continued its 20-year decline in the quality of schooling, The PISA test measures the achievement of 15-year-olds in reading, mathematics, and science in more than 80 countries. Further deterioration was disappointing but not surprising. This week, we mark 10 years since the Gonski review of funding for schooling. The failure to implement its recommendations makes the decline in standards entirely foreseeable. Countries with the highest quality education have largely eliminated social background as a factor affecting educational achievement. They are high quality and high equity systems. Canada, which like Australia, has public and Catholic school sectors in receipt of public funds is a high equity system. It is also a high quality system. Poland in recent years has focused on equity, It has now achieved quality at the levels of Finland and Canada and is well ahead of Australia. Equity in Australia is at no more than the OECD mean. A decade ago, the Gonski Review showed how to reduce the impact of social disadvantage on national education outcomes so that Australia would become a high quality and high equity system. It proposed that schools with significant numbers of disadvantaged children should receive more public funding than other schools. The key recommendation was a schooling resource standard or SRS, a base amount of funding per student, plus loadings for socioeconomic background, disability, English language proficiency, Indigenous students and school size and location. Each school was to receive the amount of funding required to meet its SRS. Gonski was predicated on willing agreement between federal and state governments and church education authorities to have one single system for the distribution of taxpayer funding to schools. This required acceptance by the governments and church authorities of a constraint upon their capacity to move public funding across schools according to their own perceptions of needs or for other purposes. That means actually that Gonski wanted
1: to... um set up something that was like the schools commission that would decide which school what got which funding. But the private schools didn't want that at all. They wanted to decide which schools in their systems were most needy. And we know what happened when with that.
0: Mm, we definitely do. Over the past decade this agreement and acceptance have not been achieved. There has been a strong resistance to any reform that puts advantage to non-government schools at risk of losing continued growth in public funding. And to, to be Gons- fair,
1: to be fair to Gonski and even Ken Boston, Gillard, when she was confronted with the private school lottery, said that no school would lose a dollar. So Gonski's hands were tied before he began.
0: The Gonski review intended that the SRS funding generated by a school should be spent on that school, not incorporated into consolidated revenue to be spent at the discretion of the school sector. Quite the opposite has occurred. Far from there being one national funding system, there are eight state and territory funding models and eight Catholic sector funding models. The gap between funding for advantaged schools and disadvantaged schools is steadily widening. Moreover, schools are at a very different stages in their transition to the SRS. On average, non-government schools, except for in the Northern Territory, are overfunded and will remain so for the rest of the decade. Public schools, except for in the ACT, are funded at less than 90% of their SRS. Current funding agreements allow state governments to continue to underfund public schools so that at best, They will only achieve 91% of their SRS by 2029. What is to be done? We need to get back to the fundamental narrative of what Gonski is about to understand its importance for the nation. Gonski is about building our national stock of human capital. It is about raising our national performance. It is about addressing our national deficit in knowledge and skills. It is about taking a place in the top level of OECD countries. The reason for its focus on socially disadvantaged schools, both government and non-government, is that these are the schools in which the greatest wastage of potential human capital occurs. This waste, this unrealized potential learning, is akin to leaving some precious metal lying in the ground, when investment in its retrieval for the benefit of the individual and the nation would yield a return far greater than the cost. Implementation of the Gonski reforms is essential if Australia is to become the clever country to which it aspires. If we are to have a high-quality, high-equity education, we urgently need substantial structural adjustment in school funding. This will require general community recognition of the trouble we are in, public advocacy for reform, particularly from business and industry, wealthy and advantaged schools accepting that in the national interest, slower growth in their public funding, and better leadership from governments that we have had in the past.
1: Yes, uh, Ken Boston is an interesting character. He started off in Victoria, up in Ballarat, actually, as a regional director. Uh, then he ended up at uh, the New South Wales Education Department and um, then on the Gonski Report, and I think he's also associated now with the Gonski Group at the University of New South Wales. So he is an educator of some experience. But uh, the dogs would disagree with his position. He believes still that a needs policy is possible. Uh, dogs contended at the beginning that you can't deal with the um, institutionalised churches and their schools, that uh, first of all, uh, after Carmel, we had bottom of the schoolyard schemes, and we've still got them, actually. Uh, they've never been interested in poor children or disadvantaged children. That's not what they're about. Uh, how can they uh, sell themselves as having the right values when they don't have the right children from respectable families? Uh, but um, yes, that's uh, the dog's position. We don't think they should get a penny of state aid money, and so do some of our readers, so some of the readers, don't they, Dale? Over to you.
5: Thank you, Jane. Yeah, there was plenty of comments that uh, do take up the dog's position. Uh, bloke Seven says, "Did you know that teachers st- still have to prepare and plan all their own lessons? Are stress increased by time and dependent on the support of their school providers? Uh, then they have homework and in class work to mark, individual reports and assessment to constantly update, correspondence with parents and management, differentiated lesson plans to create for." Sp- several special needs students, and, of course, their playground lunch duties, not to mention the constant tests to implement and mark so they can report to the Department of Education. All that's a good 25 to 38-plus hours outside of actual teaching. How much quality teaching is going to happen after all that? Cut the admin and let the teachers teach. Give them the time and resources to teach and you'll see more results uh, then Batlow says uh, we should stop wasting public funds on pu- on private education. Provide public education for all who want it. If parents wish to opt out of public education, they can pay the full cost. This was the situation in Australia from 1788 up to 1963, when the thin edge of edge of the wedge science block decision was instituted was introduced. Uh, Since then, the private school sector has demanded ever more and more public money to fund their private and sectarian undertakings. They will never surrender. Private schools will forever seek to suck more money from the public. The only solution is to turn off the tap once and for all.
1: Well, that's very much the dog's position, isn't it? Yes, thank you, Mr. Butler.
5: Yes, and Zilzi says it's past time we address the issue of public funding of private education in Australia, and its contributing contribution to to growing inequity. However, this will not happen. The question is the equivalent of the gun question in the USA. It's not possible to have a rational debate as people are so entrenched in their point of view and use excessive political lobbying to maintain their current position. And then uh, Paul said, I guess many voc- voters are focused on whether the system will allow them to get an advantage for their kids, seeing education as a a positional good and not on whether the system produces good average educational outcomes across the nation, seeing education as a public good. The reforms advocated by the article would make it harder to get an advantage for your own kid over others by spending more money or taking more trouble to get them into a good school. So people vote accordingly. Uh, Goat Girl says, Wealthy schools are wealthy as a consequence of governments fearing for their re-election chances if the wealthy parents get the irrits. And because coalition governments think education's one of those things that they are not prepared to throw good money at, it's money better spent propping up an elite to be serviced by an uneducated service class. Just one more reason to chuck them out. Another point said, I applaud you, uh, Ken Boston for continuing to highlight this shocking situation. I cannot understand why Australians are prepared to tolerate the failures of our education system while it is also, well, well, most disadvantaged, it's the most disadvantaged students who suffer the consequences. We also have a steady decline in numbers of our students performing at the top end and we cannot provide the skills our economy needs. Teddy said, Boston and Gonski are spot on. But I fear the unequal education system is just a reflection of the unequal society underlying it. Our society is dominated by neoliberal ideology in which individuals compete to maximise personal gain, regardless of the cost to others. If we want to have better results, we need to eradicate neoliberalism. Here, here. Not only from school funding models, but also from school staffing, school admin and school culture. Give teachers secure, well-paid jobs. Take decision-making away from politicians and give it back to teachers. Empower unions to protect teachers' circumstances. And replace the energy-sapping competition of private enterprise with the collaboration and care of public service. And then... uh, Esteban says there's been, he quotes, there's been strong resistance to any reform that puts advantaged non-government schools at risk of losing continued growth in public funding. And sadly, that is politics. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Also, if you look at the schools behind the ministers we have in the various levels of government, you will see a connection to funding. Nothing like pork barreling. So those were just some of the comments that do reflect yeah. the dog's position.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So the times are changing, uh, but unfortunately the politicians haven't changed yet. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and then Jeff has got an interesting uh, article for you, too. <coughs> For three years teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly
4: by this government. I'm the proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education.
1: you're still listening to the dogs program we hope and um we're going to go now to some other figures and those are the enrollment figures uh it was expected that uh, there would be a lot of children coming into our schools in victoria but it looks as if that hasn't been the case because we have been in COVID times and uh, the borders have been closed and people have even left the state up in New South Wales, there's great excitement because the public schools have lost uh, their market shares, because that's what they call it, and the Islamic and Anglican schools are mushrooming in the outer suburbs of Sydney, uh, which is a matter of concern uh, for the people in New South Wales. So um, Jane Carrow, by the way, is going to stand for the Senate. For the reason, Party, So that will be very interesting and we wish her well. But um, down here in Victoria, it's a slightly different situation. Over to you, Jeff.
4: Thanks, Jean. Uh, yeah, this is from an article in The Age by Madeleine Heffernan um, this week, and it's called Victoria's Schools Boom Loses Steam During COVID. Um, Victoria has reported its slowest growth in student numbers in 14 years after large numbers of people fled the state during the pandemic and border closures stopped new international students arriving, arriving. The state had the fastest growing schools in the country before the pandemic, prompting the Andrews government to promise 100 new schools by 2026, particularly in rapidly expanding outer suburbs. But Official figures released on Wednesday show the number of Victorians aged 5 to 19, followed by by a tenth of a percent uh, last year, 0.1%, while student numbers grew by just 0.47%. This is the state's state's lowest student growth rate since 2007 and below the national rise of 0.6%. The Australian Bureau of Statistics, Stephen Nicholas, said the low growth was no surprise because more people left the country than migrated here and full fee-paying overseas students' numbers fell by almost a quarter. Victoria, which markets itself as the education state, had been especially hard hit by the border closure, with international student numbers falling 30.3% last year to just above 5,700. Education expert Peter Goss said Victoria's student numbers were growing but not as quickly as before the pandemic. He says, it's really important to keep planning and adjusting those plans according to need, said Dr Goss, who leads PwC Australia's school education consulting practice. If we're seeing slower growth in the cohorts coming into school, then that will have an impact as those students move from prep to grade one, all the way through their school journey. If it's senior students or international students, it'll wash through the system very quickly. The figures also show independent schools have continued to grab market share, with the smallest school sector reporting the largest leap in enrolments at 2.3%. By contrast, enrolments at government schools grew by 0.2%, while the Catholic system stayed flat. Independent schools Victoria Chief Executive Michelle Green said, given the disruption of the past two years and the economic uncertainty caused by covid The the figures confirm that a growing number of parents are confident that independent schools can meet the needs of their children. About 88,800 people left Australia in the year ending 30th of June 2021, the first net overseas migration loss since 1946. Victoria was the only state to report population loss over the same period of 0.7%. Schools have been opening in Melbourne's growth zones in recent years to accommodate large numbers of students. Ten new government schools or campuses opened in Victoria this year, plus two Catholic and five independent. In 2021, 23 new schools across the three systems opened their doors. One new independent school is Mahamadiyah Australia College in Melton, which has 36 primary school age students, some of whom would otherwise be homeschooled. Founding Principal Mohammed Edwards said he had always dreamt of opening a school that combined Islamic values with the Victorian curriculum. Independent Schools Mountain District Community College in Tree Gully also opened this year, enrolling 39 VCAL students who might otherwise have dropped out of school, stayed at school unhappily, or entered the workforce. If it's struggling post-COVID, or if it's because they are at risk, There's just not enough alternative education options for them, said founding principal Elise Hopkins. We anticipate that in the next few years we'll be sitting at 80 students.
1: Yes, well, that's all very interesting, isn't it? um, It should be noted, of course, that these small small, um, uh, schools are duplicating uh, state facilities and separating children on sectarian lines. Um, But it was interesting that otherwise they would be homeschooled. Uh, Very interesting indeed. But um, that's it for the moment. We'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to hear Maddie, who will be telling us that if it's academic excellence or just academic uh, uh, achievement that you want, it's really quite pointless spending the money on private education.
3: You're listening to
7: 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
1: Well, I hope you're still listening to the Dogs Program because if you are, Maddie is going to tell us that uh, if it's academic, uh, teaching that you want and achievement, then it's pointless to spend the money on private education.
7: Over to you, Maggie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, going to private school won't make a difference to your kids' academic scores. In Australia, around 30% of primary and 40% of secondary school children attend a private or independent school. School fees vary widely depending on the type of private school and the different sectors that govern them. Catholic schools generally cost less than independent schools where families can pay fees of more than $40,000 per year. Despite the term independent school, all schools in Australia receive government funding. On average, Catholic schools receive around 75% and independent schools around 45% of their funding from state and federal governments. Research shows parents believe private schools will provide a better education for their children and better set them up for success in life. But the evidence on whether this perception is correct is not conclusive. So what does the research say about academic scores? Well, our recent study showed NAPLAN scores of children who attended private schools were no different to those in public schools after accounting for socioeconomic background. Um, These findings are in line with other research, both in Australia and internationally, which shows family background is related both to the likelihood of attending a private school and to academic achievement. While there may appear to be differences in the academic achievement of students in private schools, these tend to disappear once socioeconomic background is taken into account. An analysis of 68 education systems mainly countries, but some countries only include regions, which are known as education systems. Participating in the 2018 Program for International Assessment or PISA tests showed attendance at private schools was not consistently related to higher test performance. The OECD report says on average across OECD countries and in 40 education systems, students in private schools Scored higher in reading than students in public schools before accounting for socioeconomic profile. However, after accounting for students' and schools' socioeconomic profile, reading scores were higher in public schools than in private schools. So it begs the question do private schools improve student achievement over time? Another argument used to support Australia's growing private school sector is the idea private schools actually add value to a child's education. This means attending a private school should boost students' learning trajectories over and above what they might have achieved in a public school. Our research is the first to examine whether students differ in learning trajectories over the four NAPLAN test years, which is three, five, seven and grade nine, depending on the school type they attended. We compared the NAPLAN scores of students who attended a public school, a private school, and those who attended a public school in years three and five, and then a private school in years seven and nine. The students in the latter group scored highest in reading and numeracy tests in each of the four NAPLAN test years. This group outperformed students who attended private schools at all years and students who attended public schools at all years, but there was no evidence that making the switch to a private school added to students learning growth. These high performing students were already achieving the highest results in public school before they left for private school in year seven. This suggests private schools may be enrolling the highest achievers from public primary schools. Other analysis in our paper showed that once socioeconomic background of these students was taken into account, apparent achievement differences between school sectors were no longer present. The other interesting point is that there were no differences in achievement trajectories between the groups, so making the switch to private schools in year seven did not affect the gains students were making in that plan over time. Students in public schools made just as much progress as their peers who attended private schools. This undermines claims private schools add value to students academic academic growth. What about other private school benefits, you may ask? Some Australian research has shown students who attend private schools are more likely to complete school and attend university and tend to attain higher rankings in university entrance exams. Indeed. The recent announcements of New South Wales students HSC results showed almost three quarters of the 150 top-ranked schools were independent. The concentration of higher achieving students in private schools could also magnify any peer effects on students' decisions about future career paths or attending university. Nonetheless, the research on these questions is not definitive It's very difficult to separate out the effects of background characteristics of students and the effects of school of the school sector, given that more advantaged students tend to concentrate in private schools. Some Australian research has shown the characteristics of students before they enter private schools have a larger effect on their aspirations, behavior and attitudes than the school. While the capacity for parents to choose a school that best suits their child is often seen as an advantage, many disadvantaged families are a lot more constrained in their ability to choose and pay for private schools. Students attending private schools may have access to other non-academic benefits, such as more opportunities for sports excursions and other extracurricular activities. But in terms of academic advantage, We know from our research and other studies that explored similar questions, there is little evidence to show independent schools offer any. It is likely children will do equally well in any school sector. What do you have to say about that, Jean? What do I
1: think about it? Well, we found out uh, this afternoon that um, it really is uh, pointless economically to be funding private schools the way we are. And um, it's also educationally pointless to fund them the way we are, because they're no better. Uh, If you want uh, your child to have a good education, then the local state school, you just can't really go past it. But unfortunately, um, some parents uh, have been persuaded otherwise by uh, a barrage of extraordinary advertising at taxpayers' expense. But we know that state schools are great schools, and we've got one for you this afternoon. But before we go to our Great State School of the Week, uh, we have to, of course, get our American expert in, and that's Jeff. And he's uh-huh. going to tell us how corporations are turning public schools into workforce training pipelines. Over to you, Jeff.
4: Yeah, thanks, Jean. Look, uh, this article from from... Um from our school's website in the States. And it's about, it's by Jeff Bryant and Velislava Hillman. And it's called Corporations Are Turning Public Schools into Their Workforce Training Pipelines. Um, and it's a new study, uh, it's, it talks about a new study. And it says that that study warns that career and technical education and advanced digital systems increasingly lock children into narrow school curricula and prescribed workplace futures. Um, And it goes on. Nearly all public schools in the United States, 98%, offer some form of career and technical education, CTE, and these programs, which were previously called vocational education or voc-ed, aren't new to public schools. But what is new is the extent to which CTE programs have become exploited by big business and powerful actors in the marketplace to serve their own needs rather than those of students, With the 2018 revision to the Carl D. Perkins Career and Technical Education Perkins IV Act of 2006, gosh, that's a mouthful, the main source of federal funding for CTE training, which was replaced by the Strengthening Career and Technical Education for the 21st Century Perkins V Act of 2018 and other legislations. These are new pressures in the States that our programs of study That these programs of study must align with industry. Well, we see this in Australia
1: too, don't we? We're seeing a hudge in in Canberra at the moment, demanding that our schools um, uh, should be there for the service of industry. Uh, Yeah, teach
4: them how to work in McDonald's, that sort of thing. You know, and as a result, Ensure City is opening the door for businesses to exploit education resources and get unfettered access to students beginning as early as kindergarten from January to to June 2021, we, the authors of this article, carried out extensive research, currently awaiting peer review, across the United States, which involves speaking with families, children and teachers to understand their concerns related to CTE and the web of policy that is paving the way for powerful corporations and technology companies to influence school curriculum design and the future of millions of children and young people. Specifically, we looked at the gradual annexation of CTE by big corporations through the the development of tech talent and data extraction pipelines. We identified that advancing digital systems further enable data extraction for student profiling and prediction, which can lead to the development of worker pipelines and hyper-specialized career pathways for students. Career tracking through the use of these data extractive technologies can ultimately lead to locking children in prescribed futures that ultimately lead to long-term job insecurity. We interviewed families, children, and teachers from Virginia, Colorado, Tennessee, Ohio, Utah, and New York, and analyzed curriculum proposals for CTE programs from big tech companies, presentations by education authorities, news reports, policy documents, white papers, and meeting agendas. Our conclusion, Is that the increasing influence of corporations in CTE will ultimately lead to a more oppressive learning environment in which powerful corporations will exert more influence over what children are taught in schools and how they'll be trained for their future work lives. Further, the potentially harmful influence corporations have in public schools is being intensified by data extraction programs and uh, systems of precision that will use predictive analytics that students and parents don't generally understand, can't access, and have no personal control over. Well, now, yeah,
1: a bit scary, isn't
4: it? It's very and, scary. Uh,
1: and they're tra- they're very attracted to the public education sector, of course, because students are a source to meet their future labour demand.
4: Well, they're they're following
1: this business, then, are, uh, yeah.
4: They're using data extraction to basically analyse the children and, and focus them into um, jobs that they want in the future, so making them pre-trained for their for their use as uh, little wage slaves.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, but they won't they won't have uh, the, the
5: abilities to to choose other pathways. This is the problem. So there's func- no func- no functional social mobility. And uh, it's what's what we were talking about in the press release, you know, about uh, the elite schools making these little, oh, these little hives of, of elites uh, and the public schools are now just training grounds for their service uh, industries. And that's a really, really scary kind of social engineering that's going on. And our government's becoming more and more complicit with that Way of thinking. It's not just American, is it, Jean?
1: No, 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 no,
5: no.
4: It's it's Huxley. Yeah, remember the people worshiping the Model T. Yes. Uh, it's it's corporatizing and um, uh, merchandising and uh, making people into um, consumers yeah, be, before they even know it, um, and worshiping yeah material culture, materialist uh, culture.
1: Yes, well, the parents parents in America are very concerned about it. And they should be in Australia as well, of course. um, Commodity
4: fetishism applied to children.
1: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, the Labor Party or even the Gonski report, it was a bit worrying too because they saw, and from the Boston that we, we read today, they see children... As, in some sense, uh, an investment rather than just uh, people, human beings in themselves that should develop their their potential in many, many areas, whatever. Very very
4: dangerous to narrow the focus as well. So instead of giving a great general education where children have the opportunity to branch out in any direction they feel or they, they wish, they're narrowed and focused into certain technological areas, and often those areas can become dead ends. that's, Um, yeah, that's the worry, isn't it? Yeah. It's the opposite of what Barry Jones used to argue. Barry Jones used to argue that in the future, technology will change things so that people have to adapt quickly. So focusing people into uh, one singular area is is really dangerous for their long-term unemployment prospects Mm. because they need to be able to adapt to multiple different changing technological situations. And um, Barry Jones' famous book, The Sleeper's Wake, taught us back back in the 80s, um, showed us that the future is being adaptable. It's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the fitter.
1: Yes, well, Mr Tudge now wants us to be like Singapore, but Singapore is, in fact, changing uh, its uh, ideas and saying that, in fact, it wants its children to be problem-solvers, not just Ottomans that can do literacy and um, other tests. Um, mathematical tests, tests like Maplan and for the PISA um, program. But, I, was, um, I was just I listening to I, Richard I was,
4: Feynman, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, who was taken to Brazil to review the physics uh, teaching in Brazil. And he discovered that his, t- his students were learning everything in the textbook, but they weren't understanding anything. So they were the whole physics, uh, uh, the whole structure of their learning was based on rote and no understanding at all of what they were learning. Just passing exams, ticking boxes, uh, just a huge disadvantage. if, If you focus people into just ticking boxes, you won't have an educated population at all. You'll have, a, as you say, a, a series of automa- automatons. Yeah, uh, and
5: it's it's really horrible to think about uh, students as being predetermined, like profiling students because of their socioeconomic back, status background. Like if you can't afford to go to a wealthy school, regardless of whether or not you have an aptitude towards mathematics or physics or this or that, you know, uh, because you... you weren't able to access the elite uh, channels of schooling, then you are stuck in the service industry. And it's like profiling children and make... It, it's a type of social engineering that we we thought that public education was going to, uh, you know, eradicate to an extent. Yes, well, uh, it, it, is, it
1: is a great pity, isn't it? Um, And I think a lot of the history and culture wars uh, have brought out just where some of our our federal government certainly is in this regard. But um, our state schools aren't there yet, not by a long shot. And um, Maddie has got a great state school for us in Melbourne. Over to you, Maddie.
4: Every week on The Doctor Program we have a special segment show a different state school is a great school
5: state schools are great schools. School of the week
4: state school school of the school. week great state schools state, state schools schools school are great of the schools. Week. school for the week here on the dogs program
7: and this week's great state school is Alamander College congratulations Alamander College. Um, Alamanda College aspires to create a challenging learning environment that develops young people with active minds and ethical spirits who will be able to contribute wisdom, compassion, empathy, integrity and leadership in the global society of which they will all be members. Alamanda College has high expectations of all students and they encourage them to strive to achieve their greatest potential to make a positive contribution to a diverse and ever-changing local and global society. They will aspire to be a school renowned as a vibrant community that lives the school's motto of dare to be wise in all their thoughts and actions. In embracing the college motto, they will develop creativity and innovation and encourage students to test the limits of their intellectual and physical capabilities whilst displaying their moral convictions through their actions. They seek to provide a challenging education in a safe, supportive environment and they will strive to build positive relationships within a learning, caring and inclusive school community in order to achieve the best possible educational experience for each student students and staff are expected to engage in the total life of the college and to actively pursue a range of learning opportunities the ultimate aim is to develop personal qualities and attitudes that will enable students to face the challenges of the future with confidence i'm going to spit some facts and facts and figures at you now so there are 2949 students enrolled at this school and the IxiO value is above average at 1118 which is actually well above average. In the upper quartile, which is the most advantaged parental income, there is 54% of the students that attend the school. In the second highest quartile, 30%, 30% of the students. In the third quartile, which is the second lowest quartile. There is 12% of the students that attend the school and in the lowest quartile, 5% of the students attend that school. So really, it's a school with both advantaged and disadvantaged students, more advantaged than disadvantaged. 77% speak a language other than English and there is 1% of Indigenous students. And now to some finances, we'll talk about the recurrent grants. The Australian government provides $4.5 million annually. The Victorian government, $17.7 million. Um, Fees and parental contributions is $2.3 million annually. And other private contributions are $365,000. It costs $9,473 per pupil per year to send a student to this school, which is incredible. That's incredibly cost-effective. Um, And, yeah, their capital is $7.4 million over three years. Their NAPLAN scores are actually well above average with um, writing, spelling and numeracy all above average. So for the amount of money that it costs to send a student to this school, you're actually getting some serious bang for your buck. Congratulations. Congratulations. Alamanda College, you have done such a good job. Congratulations to all of the staff and students and the community that choose to send their kids to this school. Good job. Alamanda College, you are our great state school of the week. Well, thank you, Maddie, for telling us about Alamanda College out there in Point Hook,
1: a relatively new area, a school P to 12, which has only been going for eight years and which is very much sought after in that area. Um, Although they have a lot of very wealthy people in the area, they also have uh, children who are disadvantaged and that school uh, is there for them too, which is what public education is all about. It is there for every child, every teacher, every employee. But uh, our time has gone and it's time to say goodbye. If you want to find out more about the dogs, you can go to www.adogs.info. But from Dale and Jeff and Soul and Maddie and Oliver and Kim, it's Bye for Now.
6: I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I but Joe Ten years dead, I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I.